0: So how was the Thanksgiving? All things considered, Thanksgiving was good We drove down to Florida, which I don't know if I'll necessarily do that ever again It took us 13 hours to get to Atlanta when it's supposed to be a 10-hour drive And it took us 15 hours to get home on Sunday when it was supposed to be a 12-hour drive Yep, traveling with kids, man <laughs> and, and wives <laughs> Oh, goodness, that's funny How'd your uh, trip to Michigan go? It went well. So it was good. Yeah, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad that you guys made it safe. Especially, you know, my reward was sunshine in Florida. It was like seventy degrees the whole time. Your reward was <laughs> Michigan, so my reward was you know. snow. <laughs> yeah, snow and 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 the upper Midwest. But hey, at least Michigan beat Ohio State while you were there. Oh
1: man, that was a big deal. <laughs> that, that hadn't happened in a long time. I bet. I'm sure so, there's uh, parties in the streets.
0: <laughs> Celebrations, man. So. Yeah, popping off. Well, we are the 1v1 podcast, the 1v1 Deep State podcast. We had a great Thanksgiving. I hope all of you guys did as well. We, I don't think we interacted much on Twitter, did we, during the break? I think we kind of took a break from it. I wasn't really tweeting too much, but if we were... You'd find me at the rake, but the A is a four. At Thomas Black underscore eighty six, and the show's Twitter is at OBO Deep State, which I don't post too much from there. I probably should get more involved with that one, but it's mostly just to post the show and retweet our dumb takes that we have on that platform.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's my thing with going on the show's Twitter. It's just like I could say something, but it'd probably be from just my perspective, which is different than yours. Right. So.
0: I have the same issue, so I I like. We can have a whole conversation of my Twitter philosophy, but I think that the show, yeah, should. I mean, I don't mind retweeting as long as it's retweeting me or retweeting you or retweeting something that we've talked about, maybe. But yeah, yeah I don't, I don't want to go in there and put my personal opinions on the show because there are two of us and we're 50 50 on this, maybe 51 49. We'll see. We haven't discussed that part of it yet. Uh, but <laughs> we've been wanting to do the second amendment for a while. This has been one of those big topics that, uh, we've, I think we've scheduled it and and pushed it at least twice, but today's the day. Finally, we've probably have similar views, which will be interesting. We'll get into, but it was really all spurred by the two big verdicts over the last week or so. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and the Ahmaud Arbery verdict. Both of them. Well, one of them more controversial than the other, but both kind of a good way to discuss Self-defense in the Second Amendment. I guess. Let's start off with your feelings on both verdicts, and if you think they got them right, if you think they got them wrong, anything from the trials. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just what were your feelings first? Because the Rittenhouse verdict came before the Arbery verdict, so we'll start. We'll start there. What were your feelings on the
1: Rittenhouse verdict? Yeah, I mean, I think you could, for a number of reasons, you could probably tell early on. Um, how the Rittenhouse verdict was going to shape out. Uh, the judge seemed pretty favorable, um, or, or at least maybe not favorable, I don't know, to, uh, empathetic towards Rittenhouse and some of the tactics that uh, that he used and, and the, the uh, prosecuting attorney uh, staked his entire case on uh, Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there anyway, therefore he's guilty. So, I, you know, watching that drama kind of unfold, um, you know, it seemed like it was reasonably going to come out uh, in Rittenhouse's favor. I, I agree with it. You know, I think the tough part about the law is you have to distinguish between what is morally right, what is personally smart, and what's legal. And you can make arguments that he wasn't morally right, or you can make arguments he was morally right, probably. You can make arguments in favor of or against him, his the wisdom in showing up, uh, especially to a town that you're not from, but he didn't do anything illegal. With, with the Ahmaud Arbery case, uh, yeah, they definitely got that right. and and I think there, there there needs to be some sort of accountability for why it took social media to get this to trial. because to me that's it, it's, it's the the verdict was right, but justice isn't complete until there's some level of of satisfactory explanation and accountability on why did it take? the The population through social media to get this into the courtroom.
0: Yeah, I think I think what kind of links the cases, which is interesting, is video evidence. They both really came down to video evidence. I think if there were no videos in both these cases, they basically go the opposite ways in both in both of them. I think I think if there is no video in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, it really does look like a 17 year old went to a protest slash riot Armed with an AR, and ended up, you know, killing two people and, and shooting another one, uh, and without the video evidence of showing the self defense, I think it would have been very hard to prove. Mm-hmm. Although the one guy who ended up getting shot and not dying did on the stand say that he pointed first, but he was the third person that Rittenhouse shot. The first two were were dead before then, but we, I think, I think, I, I don't know. It's maybe a little strong to say that the verdicts sort would of, have his verdict would have been reversed without video evidence, but I think he would have had a much weaker case without all the video evidence. And as you said, I think this, it was already pretty obvious from the video evidence from the public that was made public before the case came out, that it was going to be a self-defense slam dunk for the most part. But like once they had like the FBI drone footage or whatever, that showed everything you're like, okay, I don't, I had a long week of Twitter and social media and other things of people, liberals crying about this case and verdict. And it was, it was pretty obvious to me, although I am more pro two A than, than most liberals. I would say uh, I'm pro gun. I should say, we'll get into the two A part of it later, but the <laughs> Arbery verdict, the Arbury verdict absolutely doesn't happen without video. If that mm-hmm. one, if the third defendant, the friend that they picked up didn't record it, which thank God he did. I don't know why. But if he doesn't record that, if he doesn't, he recorded it and then he released it. If he doesn't release it, this doesn't, this case doesn't happen. Justice doesn't get served. These three defendants who were found guilty on multiple counts unanimously by a jury of their peers, clear justice doesn't happen without the video evidence. 1000%. The previous district attorney lets them walk free. So I think that's the. Really the linking factor and one of the reasons why, even though we finally got to justice, it absolutely showed the the fault in the system. And I know we want to do a criminal justice episode or series, and I'm sure we will in the near future. But I think that's a that's the point that I think that's the one thing on Twitter that we did discuss over the, the holiday weekend was that they got the verdict right. But it doesn't feel like justice because it was kind of lucky. We got lucky. We had to get lucky that a flat out. Man, I don't want to say modern day lynching. I don't necessarily like that terminology, but it, it basically was they they chased a person down who they had no reason to chase down and then shot him when they were pointing guns at him. And he was trying, they were trying to claim self-defense like right now I was trying to claim self-defense except they were the ones pointing the guns and the guy was doing everything he could to get away. And they ended up shooting and killing
1: him. Well, did you hear the one dude when he was like, well, when Arbery grabbed my gun, I got scared and that's why I had to shoot him. It's like, Right. How do you think he felt when you pointed the gun at him with your two right. buddies in the back? <laughs> Seriously, and that's, that's. And we had an interesting,
0: just dis- an interesting conversation on the Discord about self defense and why, like when can you claim self defense? And there's a lot. Self defense is gives you a lot of leeway. There's a lot of situations where you can claim self defense, even if you were the one initiating contact. Like I don't want to say they they chased him down, and if they weren't pointing their guns at him, and he had like. Reached for something quickly. They probably have a self, a better self defense claim than what they had. But when you're actually pointing guns at somebody and they fight back because they think their life, they think their life is uh, at risk. It's, it's a lot harder to claim self defense than on top of the fact that like they didn't catch him in the act of doing any kind of crime. They chased him for so long down the road at that point. They lost all their claim to a citizen's arrest, which this is one of those reasons why citizens arrest shouldn't even be a thing. They're not trained. I mean, the guy, the 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 dad was former law enforcement, but still, it, you're, you're former law enforcement. You're not current law enforcement. Like these sort of things. This is what happened. This is kind of the the other thing that links them the the Cal Rittenhouse slash, Arbery cases. You can't. It's not vigilanteism. Maybe the second case, the Arbery case, is more vigilanteism. I don't think that the Rittenhouse case really falls under that. But being in the wrong. Trying to do good, but giving yourself way more authority than you can handle, kind of resulted in both these situations turning out deadly. Mm-hmm. And it really goes to show that you can have the best intentions. I don't, I, I don't know the state of mind that the McMichaels were in, who are the who are the ones that were in the Arbery case, the defendants. I, I don't think they intended to go out and shoot somebody that day, but the situation they put themselves into. That was if they were doing that consistently was always going to lead to somebody dying. You can't you can't chase somebody down and have gun and be armed and point guns at somebody and not expect this kind of outcome.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I I would agree. I'd imagine they didn't wake up today and say, hey, let's murder somebody and try to get away with it. You know, uh, I, I can. Gosh, I can only assume that they have a default setting that they view the world through and they view people through And part of that would be they probably assume many or most black people are criminals. That's why when you see a random black guy walking through a construction site, you automatically assume, let me see if he took something. Let me be armed. So, again, I mean, I don't want to speak too strongly or passionately about that, but something in their worldview and their personal feelings led them to believe that they needed to, you know, follow Ahmaud Arbery, you know, and then they needed to take action on them. So, like, so there's a lot messed up there. But it is an internet, you mentioned self-defense, not to get us on a, on a, you know, kind of tangent here. But, I mean, that was the same claim, if I remember correctly, for uh, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. You know, he made his citizens stop. He pretty much instigated a fight, started getting beat up. And when he started getting beat up in the fight he instigated, he pulled his weapon and uh, because of the standard ground law in Florida, there's was, there was kind of a loophole in it. And it's just it, you, yeah, when, when you and I'm, I'm very to a I'm very, very in favor of uh, self-defense, the inherent right to protect yourself, to protect your property. Um, but when you write these laws, recognize that you're giving lethal authority to, like you said, a population that is not trained the same way a law enforcement officer or a military member would be. And you need to write the law very carefully and you need to think through, okay, where do we generalize to where somebody could walk, walk out of a courtroom free when they really should be guilty. Like when they really should have some level of accountability, whether it be imprisonment or capital punishment, depending on the state. And I think like that's what happened in in Florida is there was a very loosely worded stand your ground and, and, and you know, uh, Zimmerman's lawyers were able to, to find the loophole, and Trayvon Trayvon's Martin lawyers took a little bit of a gamble in not trying to press charges for multiple degrees of murder and just going straight with the uh, the all or nothing first degree. So yeah, I, I, yeah,
0: I don't remember all the details. We actually brought that case up in the Discord, and we're talking about it. I think I'm fine with having a lot of leeway for self defense. I think that. We should err on the self-defense being, you know, pretty strong. You should always have the right of self-defense. I think in George Zimmerman's case, I think he, that self-defense there is. I don't think the problem with that case was the self-defense angle. I think that even if you start a fight, you you can start a fight, and I I can have a fight with you and only intend to prove my point, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> like we have we have a. Altercation that gets violent, but it doesn't necessarily have to get deadly. I I could be in a; it could be a situation where I'm just trying to, you know, be an alpha male and prove your dominance, and it's not going to get deadly. But if I'm on top of you and I'm and I'm hitting you, and even though in my heart of hearts I'm not trying to kill you, and you in that situation don't know my mind state, you just know that we're fighting and we were both mad at each other. You don't know how far I could take it. So even if you started the fight you threw the first punch and I'm on top of you now winning, I think you still have a valid self-defense claim because you could fear for your life in that moment, right? So I don't I don't necessarily think that part of the George Zimmerman thing is wrong, but I absolutely agree with you that it doesn't need to be murder, but there should still be accountability. You instigated that situation yeah. and it led to the death of somebody else. You, That person basically didn't do anything wrong other than beat you in a fight uh, and made you fear for your life. I don't necessarily think that's... That gives you a free pass to face no criminal, you know, charges. And I think you're right. Like, it's not murder, but it is, you know, it's homicide. It's negligent homicide. You're putting yourself in that situation. And I think that's similar to the what a lot of people feel with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing is that like he put himself in a dangerous situation. No, he didn't make those people attack him. But he was he was basically a spark in a tinderbox. box. Like when you see somebody walking around with a rifle who clearly isn't law enforcement, things can go bad quick. And I think even my my take on the Rittenhouse thing was like, even if the first shooting or two were justified, if I'm a block over and I hear somebody shooting, you know, a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun, right? I don't know the context of the situation enough to know that Kyle Rittenhouse is actually defending himself. I just heard... You know, shots, people freaking out. Two people are dead and I have my gun. Now I can go put down an active shooter, right? Like it was, Mm -hmm. he's lucky he didn't die. And he's lucky that the third guy with a pistol didn't, you know, draw and fire quick enough or however that situation went down. The interesting conversation we had on the discord, though, is like if that third guy who got shot. Thought Rittenhouse was an active shooter and shot back and killed Rittenhouse, does he have a self-defense claim? And I think that that's where self-defense gets real murky. So it's an interesting conversation. Again, this is not something I wanted to spend a ton of time on with you because I think we agree for the most part. But this is something we talked about on the Discord, and you should probably join those conversations more because I think you'd you'd, uh, have a good perspective on them. But yeah, I think I think absolutely that I I was fine with House verdict. I think is very clear. I think the prosecution was terrible. I think the judge definitely leaned towards the defendant. But I also had a conversation about this yesterday on Twitter. I think that's fine. I think. The entire justice system should be in favor of the defense getting prosecuted and convicted of a crime should be it's without it. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. So you should have a really strong case and no amount of bias towards the defense should affect that. The problem is when the justice system gets slanted towards the prosecution and they're starting they put people away left and right. Uh, for minor crimes. Mm -hmm. I'm completely fine with the defense or the, or the judges and the the entire legal system period being slanted towards the defense. That's why we have a presumption of innocence. That's why the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Like this is serious stuff. You affect lives. There are innocent people in this, in jail right now to this day. So all the stuff, like I kind of spouted off on Twitter about the judge a little bit, but I did. I, I watched some con some, clips out of context and once I got the context I watched another video uh, addressing all the issues with the judge completely fine with it with the caveat being as long as he's like that for every defendant and not just defendants like Rittenhouse who apparently he liked I I think that's fine I think that judges should be pro defense and that just put a lid on it I think that prosecutor should probably be uh, voted out or disbarred or however they handle that sort of thing in in, uh, uh, Wisconsin because he was he was pretty bad,
1: yeah. For sure, no, and I, and I agree with you. I mean, innocence until proven guilty is, is you know, kind of a bedrock principle. But even like the uh, the podcast and the different people I read who were very against, um, kind of the way the Rittenhouse verdict went, it, it was less so with the facts of this case, it was more so of this seemed pretty inconsistent. Like, not even saying this judge, like, in and of themselves, but just the system itself seems inconsistent with who's given the presumption of innocence. And now in the courtroom, you have to prove guilt versus who's given a presumption of guilt and looked at with suspicion. And now you're trying to prove innocence the whole time. And you you can't prove that, right? Like, I can't, you know, I say you can't, but much harder to prove, like, you know, I wasn't at this place. Then, you know, I was here. I've got all these witnesses. I've got these, you know, evidence in my favor. So that that was where it seemed like a lot of the... The angst from different people that I read uh, or listened to when it came to the Rittenhouse case was just you know some apparent inconsistencies which exist and need to be addressed. And you know. Yeah, it sounds like we need to do the
0: criminal justice episode sooner rather than later because I think we have a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, but as far as the cases go, I don't think I have any other opinions other than what we've already gone over. But a big part of the Rittenhouse case, at least, was his ability to own and wield a rifle in the middle of a riot. I think this comes. This is really, at its heart, a 2A issue. I know there was a lot of discussion over who straw purchased, who bought the rifle for him, did he bring it across state lines, was that legal? There's some Wisconsin laws that teenagers can't have short, short-barreled rifles, but they can have long-barreled rifles for hunting. Did he fall under that? I know there was a lot of discussion around that. I'll make it easy for the first question. <laughs> what What do you think teenagers should be able to wield ARs like that?
1: Um, yes. I mean, I guess the short answer would be yes. I think also with age of minority cases, um, there's a decent chance that parents would stand uh, some level of accountability on the actions of, of their children. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, I mean, ultimately we, we, again, not an apples to apples comparison, not suggesting it is, but we send teenagers to war. Um, so if we say 18 year olds are, are, are have reached a level of uh, emotional and intellectual and, intellig- you know, maturity to, um, to handle those types of situations with proper training, it seems like they would be potentially um, emotionally and intellectually mature enough to handle just having a rifle and being able to, to wield it. And um, I mean, I think in this situation he even had his parents consent and his mom, like take him to Wisconsin. And, and Yeah. Allegedly his mom
0: knew where he was and what he was doing. I, Probably, I mean, we trust teenagers to drive at 16, right? Mm-hmm. And they are, I believe teenagers are still the highest risk age group of drivers out there. So they're causing damage and destruction. We've seen, there's that famous case years ago about the influenza kid, right? The, the guy, he—he <laughs> oh, yeah. he was he was speeding and caused a wreck and killed people. And he basically got off because he was rich and white, and sort and he had influenza. Uh, That whole case started with him being in a wreck that caused deaths. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, if if we're trusting, and we just unfortunately we just saw with the Wisconsin, I guess it's a terrorist attack, lack of a better word, the, the guy driving through the Christmas parade there. Like vehicles can be deadly weapons; they can kill people. Uh, pretty easily. So mm-hmm. we are trusting teenagers as young as, I mean, what, 15 and a half when you get your learner's permit with, with some serious machinery that can do damage and cause harm and, and be lethal. I don't necessarily see how a, a rifle or gun in general is, is much different than that. I think that. Liberals are going to get mad and disagree with me when I say that, uh, uh, you know, a weapon is or a, a gun is a tool, just like a car is a tool. You can use them responsibly or you can be reckless with them. That doesn't make it that doesn't necessarily mean that something should be illegal or people shouldn't be allowed to use them. So in that case, I think I think for me, like I never really thought about it too hard, but I think 16 is fine. I think that's a five. We're going to we're going to license people to drive at 16, I don't think it's a problem if somebody's trained to use a weapon to be able to carry a weapon at sixteen.
1: Yeah, no, and, 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 uh, and, and thinking about the question, because again, I haven't been asked, you know, a question like that. But um, I mean, the reality is, there's a family tradition in our family for several generations now, um, and in a few years, my oldest son's going to partake in it. But there's a shotgun that's handed down. In a few years, it's not going to be my shotgun; it's going to be his shotgun. And in preparation, in exactly to your point, like the, we started out with BB guns, and we started talking about firearms. We do, um, you know, the, the five weapon safety rules. We do the proper carries. A whole lot of uh, accountability and enforcement of these rules. And the same thing that, you know, you just said, I told him, like, this is a tool. Like, your pocket knife was a tool. This tool's sole intent, and I told him this, was this the sole intent of this tool was to kill. It's, in, it's designed to kill either animals or people, either in self-defense or to provide food for a family. But make no mistake, this isn't a tool designed to scare. This isn't a tool designed to make you look cool. It's designed to kill. So every time you have it in your hand, you treat it with that, that level of respect. You know, and that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what a firearm is. Like you said, it's a tool and it has a function and it has a purpose. And when you treat it less than that, that's when you oftentimes run into problems.
0: Yeah. And I, so you're very pro 2A. I say I'm pro gun. I think distinguish those I'm going to hold your horse. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I am pro. Everyone should be trained in guns. And once you're trained, you should own a gun and know how to use it. I, I made the analogy of being licensed to drive a car at 16. I have no problem preventing people from owning guns without being trained and licensed in some form or fashion. And that is a – I would consider that a violation of 2A. 2A, the way it's written – well, let me (laughs) rephrase. I think the way 2A is written is that's what the original intent was. I've had this argument many times. Yeah, I've listened to podcasts and read contemporary writing from the time that the Second Amendment was written. In my opinion – And this is just opinion. I'm not a legal expert nor a constitutional scholar by any means. In my opinion, it was clearly... I don't want to say clearly. That's a loaded word. In my opinion, the intent was they wanted a more or less standing militia. And they wanted every household to have a gun, a rifle... A shotgun, any means of, it's not self defense at that point, but it's any means of, of raising an army. And they wanted those people to be trained. There's a reason why it says well regulated militia in mm-hmm. the second amendment. I don't think they just meant everybody should have guns and have no training in using them or carrying them around in public for no reason other than to flex the second amendment. I don't think that was necessarily the, right, the, the intent. I say I'm pro-gun because I do believe in self-defense. I do believe that guns are tools and can be used as weapons, but not necessarily have to be. And on a slightly related topic, I don't think because of the way 2A is written, this is kind of like the abortion thing. The way 2A is written, there's not a whole lot legislators of local legislators or federal legislators can really do to get around the second amendment. It's it's very similar to what people are doing on anti-abortion cases in states where they're really trying to finesse Roe v. Wade. And a lot of states are trying to finesse the second amendment. It, it's really unfinessable. I feel like <laughs> it, it, you're, you're being cute with it. You're really like trying to find minor, minor, minor loopholes when really the Second Amendment is pretty clear. The way the way the Second Amendment is written and the way the law of the land is, we basically should have access to any weapon we want. We should be able to buy any weapon we want. There should be no federal restrictions on any weapon. You should be able to own automatic machine guns, and you should be able to own rocket launchers, and you should be able to own. If you're a felon and you served your time and paid your debt to society and you're not on probation or anything and your, your sentence is done, you should be able to own a weapon. That's basically how the Second Amendment is written. It's pretty pretty wide ranging if you ignore the well regulated militia part which is i is what i think a lot of people do or try to redefine what re- well regulated means that it wasn't used in that sense in the when the second amendment was written which i've n- never found to be a strong argument but i've ranted a lot what do, how do you feel about me being pro gun versus me
1: being pro two It kind of surprised me a little bit um, just uh, yeah that's not what i would have guessed you were on some of this i, I do think especially you know I'm kind of you know you know, I'm being more conservative or whatnot, I think the well-regulated Melissa part of Second Amendment, from the conservative standpoint, often gets uh, spoken to less and the back half of that, the right to bear arms, gets spoken to uh, frequently. Shall not be infringed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so I think people of good faith can uh, have good conversation about this and can put in Good and reasonable laws to regulate nuance. Yeah, I mean regulate nuance how two a looks in a given state, right? And especially, especially with regards to the well regulated militia part. But the problem is, you have some states, in my opinion, that go way too far with. Oh, okay. Well, you have to have these licenses, these fees. You have to take these classes, which take this long. Um, meanwhile, somebody is just wanting to get a firearm to protect their house because they live in an area of high crime and they don't have the bandwidth to go through a three month training course. They don't have the bandwidth to pay, you know, additional fees that come on top of the purchase of a firearm. And a lot of states would argue this is what a well-regulated militia looks like. And really all they're trying to do is, in my opinion, practically just reduce the number of firearms citizens have because they're worried about the ramifications of, even a legally purchased firearm um, being used in in a hostile way um, with malicious intent. So I I think you could do, I mean, the regulation of it all should be, I don't think you should have any fees attached to it personally because that's unnecessary. But I understand when states say, hey, um, you need to go through this class. It takes two or three hours. And all we're going to tell you is how to properly clean your weapon, how to, properly handle your weapon because it would be slightly different like a rifle versus a pistol. Um, And we're going to teach you the weapon safety rules, and then we're going to let you fire the weapon and we're going to make sure you're doing these things right. And when you pass this class, it's yours. And to me, that's not a high barrier of entry to to own a firearm, right? But I think you do have to, again, I I agree with with your understanding of the second amendment of what its intent was. I think it's reasonable for, as our society has evolved from agrarian, and being a population where everybody hunts, or the vast majority of people hunt, so everybody knows how to properly use a firearm because it's part of their culture, to you know much more of the industrial age where many homes don't have a rifle. Many generations have never had a rifle or a pistol in their home. So the idea of knowing how to properly clean it, how to take care of it, how to properly handle it, all of those things are just foreign concepts now. I think the state does have a right to say, hey, we've lost that well-regulated part being natural in our society. Here is what we're going to do to make sure it still exists.
0: Yeah, I think I think the way 2A is written and what, what we currently have, if I was going to make the argument of what, laws, what the laws should be regulating firearms, I would think they would be very sparse and very, it's very clear. Again, if you ignore the well-regulated part, it's very clear that you should be able to own any weapon you want. Uh, so, if I was going again, I think this is similar to the abortion argument in the sense that if we want to come together as a society and say that we need more training, our citizens' citizens'ry needs more training on weapons and firearms before we let every just anybody have them. That's going to take a constitutional amendment mm-hmm. with the way 2A is written. And that's why I say I'm not pro 2A. I think that I don't know if it's a paradox or or hypocritical i i think everybody if you want and can afford a an automatic machine gun or a bazooka or a tank if you want that that you should be able to buy that i honestly believe you should be able to but I think there should be like steps in training and licensing and proving you like much like you can have an open carry of a pistol. And then in order to conceal carry it, you have to go get trained and get a license to do that. I think there should just be levels of licenses and training. There's a bare minimum. Anybody can go and buy a shotgun right now and get a shotgun and have it uh, home defense hunting, whatever, basically no questions asked. That should be pretty much free and unlimited. A bolt action rifle. Very similar. Like I don't know how much training and licensing you need for bolt action rifles, Mm -hmm. handguns. I think because they're so prevalent and we constantly have issues of improper storage where miners or thieves or whatever, get their hands on them and do crime or have accidental shootings and they're much easier to hide than a shotgun or a rifle. Probably these have a little bit higher level of. Not only training, but also licensing. And then you just move your way up the chain. If you, once you have your concealed carry, okay, let's go, you know, automatic, automatic weapons. And from there, you know, (laughs) explosives, whatever, but like you're going to get trained and you're going to get licensed and the, the the state is going to have a record that, okay, Thomas Black has this level of training. He has registered three bazookas and a flamethrower and, you know, a handful of grenades, whatever. Uh, and then if you have any kind of incidences, if, if a grenade actually goes off at your house that wasn't supposed to, hopefully nobody gets injured, you know, but then the state can come and say, OK, you've shown improper care. We're going to take your license away for having grenades like I think that sort of system is what makes the most sense in the world we live in in twenty twenty one. But like I said, the law of the land is two A right now. And I honestly I'm, you know, very pro constitution, but I'm not an originalist. But the way it is written is the way it is written. If we want to change that as liberals, as Democrats, then you need to convince the populace that this is not the right way to do things and that in order to prevent school shootings and accidental deaths and gun crime is to pass another amendment. And much like abortion, I don't think that's going to happen. So Mm -hmm. the the whinging and hand-wringing over the Second Amendment I think is just wasted breath. I'm not a Beto guy. I'm not a come-and-take-your-guns guy. I only... It's it's the he's he's the best of bad options. He's just better than Ted. I think Ted Cruz is more poisonous to America and politics in general than Beto's gun stances, even though I completely disagree with Beto's gun stance.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I think you're right on a national level, it's going to have to be a constitutional amendment where you uh, just redefine, uh, you know, terms um, or more explicitly defined terms. But, you know, that, that's why the Tenth Amendment exists also. Right. Like, I mean, the states have a lot of power here. So on the state level, I mean, like you, you have, let's say, um, you know, your California's, Washington's, New York's, where they have a lot more strict regulation on. On that and, and I would say it gets to the point where the barrier of entry is so high to purchase and, and, and operate any firearm that it's, it's an infringement on rights because it becomes impractical to think that every member of society has a, an equal opportunity to exercise their their inalienable right of. Have having a firearm. But I think you're right. If you change it, that you'd have to change it at the constitutional level before it became a national policy issue. And, and I'll say, like, I'm, I'm very much in agreement with you on, you should own whatever, whatever you can afford, whatever you know how to operate. And then when I was researching this, I mean, this was actually pretty common, even in the 18th century, there were several people who had businesses who didn't have like a fleet of ships, but their businesses required ships and they owned cannons. Like they, and then, you know, they, they registered the cannons, but I mean, that was the most powerful military weapon of the day, a weapon that you didn't need to. And that's why I hate the hunting argument, because I think it's just lazy or ignorant. But there was no need to to have a cannon other than um, defending you and your property and making sure you have a tactical advantage should an engagement of of hostile intent and and, uh, lethal force be necessary. And then that's how that law has always been understood and more or less has always been upheld in the court.
0: Yeah, I think... I listened to a podcast that was really interesting about it, and I should have sent it to you weeks ago, uh, knowing we were doing this topic. But it kind of went into the history of the two A fight and how like we've really only had this fight over the Second Amendment since like the '60s ish. This became the Second Amendment became a hot topic actually when the Black Panthers were open carrying in San Francisco during a time where they were policing the police. That was their thing. They would follow around. The San Francisco cops, and they would be armed while the San Francisco cops were arresting people on the streets uh, to ensure that the cops were doing their job appropriately and not extra judiciously, Mm -hmm. which had been the, you know, there's a long history of the police and and poor and African-American minority communities, which is well documented. But that became a thing then because they were open carrying and Ronald Reagan, the governor of California, was actually trying to prevent them from open carrying, which is something a lot of conservatives seem to conveniently forget. But that's when like the NRA went from being like a hunting association to being at the forefront of the of uh, the pro Second Amendment stuff. And it was a really interesting there's really interesting period, like the late 60s, early 70s, where they went to a vote. I guess, of what they were going to be if they were going to continue to be this hunting association organization who were like trying to get kids trained in rifle use to being this lobbying arm of gun manufacturers, basically. Uh, And that was kind of a split in their philosophy. Uh, I think a lot of the people with the hunters went off and started a different organization, but it's a really interesting podcast. I'll have to find it and send it to you after the show. But that there was really not a whole lot of argument up until the 60s, 70s,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, that the Second Amendment w- was mostly about militias and not about everyday carry. That's, I think, that's a debatable topic. But I think that was the just the general, the general vibe, I guess, of what Americans thought the Two A meant was. Most people thought it had to do with militias and not about carrying grenades as an everyday carry sort of thing. I think. I don't necessarily think that was wrong then, and I don't necessarily think the shall not be infringed people now are wrong. They're, it's both in there, and that's why I don't say I'm pro Second Amendment. I think it's a really poorly. It's not even proper English if you read it. There are commas where there shouldn't be commas. Uh, it's a really, it's a really vague amendment compared to some of the other ones, in my opinion. But yeah, I think that people get uh, a little confused when I say I'm pro gun and not pro two A. But I, I think we've covered that pretty well. But I, I brought up something earlier that I wanted see your comment on about shall not be infringed. Like, do you think, do you agree that like felons who have served their time should like preventing them from owning a weapon should be, should fall under the second amendment? Like they should be able to go and buy weapons after they serve their time.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I don't understand. Like, and and this is more of a criminal justice argument. Yes. You're either dangerous to society still and have not paid your time or you're not. to me, it's gotta be pretty binary. If you're not on probation, if you're not in prison, like, don't enslave them basically to a prisoner's lifestyle where they just get to walk where they want to. Because, I mean, the, the reality is, okay, we let this guy out um, for whatever crimes he committed. We're saying that he is justice has been served, but we're not going to let him get a firearm. Well, if he's dangerous to somebody's life, he'll get a knife. If he can't get a knife, he'll get a rock. Can't get a rock, he'll just beat him with their hands. Like, it, it's ultimately an issue of the individual and, and their their intent, you know, um, and not an issue of, like you said earlier, what tool will they use to accomplish the intent. So, I mean, I, I know, like, if you ran on that platform, especially if for some reason a Democrat ran on that platform, it, it would be hard to justify that to a voting population, I think. But I think you need to be intellectually consistent. This person's either safe and able to enter society and be a productive member, or they're not.
0: Yeah, I think it's part of the reason why we don't, why we have such a high recidivism rate. And again, this is, uh, we're going a little bit more into the criminal justice thing, but we tell these felons they've served their debts to society for what they did previously. And then some states don't let them vote. Some states, you know, we don't let them carry weapons again. We don't let them integrate back into society. We keep them on the fringes and then... Their only option is to commit more crime at that point. I mean, again, it's one of those things where if you make guns illegal, then only criminals will have them. Well, if this guy can't carry a gun anymore and he needs he, chances are he lives in a dangerous area, he probably needs protection. He's going to carry a weapon. Well, now he's a criminal again because he's holding an illegal weapon because he wasn't allowed to have one previously. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a sticking point I have with conservatives over. They get really hyped up over shall not be infringed. But then you bring up like, what about felons? And then it's a completely different argument. Another interesting uh, dichotomy, I think, is how, again, I'm not trying to pick on conservatives. I'm just I want to I want your opinion on that. How pro police conservatives are. But police are generally pretty anti guns for the populace. A lot of police precincts and unions are for a lot of gun restrictions for the populace. I always thought that was an interesting uh, paradox because. A lot of people who have who do live more rurally, who do still live that agrarian type of lifestyle or maybe just want, you know, self-defense in the home. We've seen it at Ruby Ridge. We saw kind of at Waco, like when the police come to your house and you don't want them on your property, weapons are used. And I think that that's that's always been an interesting stick for me is uh, I think it's hard to be as pro police as most conservatives are and then still want. Everybody to be be armed like the Kentucky case of uh, Breonna Taylor, where the police busted in unannounced and got shot at and they killed her and her boyfriend was charged. Right. That was just a small, a small sample of that. But I think that that's an interesting paradox.
1: I've repeated myself way too much. But how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, well, first, you know, I didn't know that, uh, you know, police officers and police unions were uh Less in favor of an armed populace. I mean, I get what you're saying, and, and to some degree, it makes sense. All I have is anecdotal evidence on that. And, and the police I talk to, I say this affectionately because I'm one, but they're a little more redneck like me, and they're just like, yeah, people should have weapons. Like, what's, the, you know, I think more to, to, to the sticking point of your question, though, this is where, with modern definitions, I would say I'm not conservative, I'm libertarian. <sighs> Man, I, I love the police. I respect the police. At the end of the day, they are still government employees, and they are the action arm that's going to enforce law. Um, and they are the, they are the if you have a malicious, no, no, malicious is bad. If you have a legislative body that turns tyrannical, the police are going to be the one that have to carry that action out and, and to a slightly different topic. But at the same point, this is why I got into a lot of arguments with conservatives on social media when I would say, absolutely, you need to put body cams, dashboard cams and reform qualified immunity for for law enforcement and others who would fall under the umbrella of qualified immunity, and, but it was more within the context of police shootings of what, what made the media at least unarmed black man. So that was the top conversation, and the topic I would always go to is: Listen, in Virginia, they are passing gun uh, reform laws right now that most of us don't agree with. And what if Governor Northam gets to mandate a buyback of weapons? Aren't you going to want the police to have? You know, body cameras on so they're not just like breaking down the drywall in your house, assuming you're hiding stuff? Aren't you going to want dashboard cams on? Like, Aren't you going to want some level of check and balance on their authority and what they're doing? And a lot of times the argument, I'm not saying it's everybody's argument, but the argument I would see is like, well, I just don't think the police would do that if this law was passed. And then it's, so you want a subjective police that's going to enforce some laws and like, I yeah. don't see the consistency there. So so yeah, that's kind of why I am with with that is there needs to be, for every government authority, there needs to be appropriate check and balance. Because in our society today, with, with the technology we have, we shouldn't have to rely on cell phone footage. We shouldn't have to rely on necessarily like traffic cams or whatever. Like it, And I think for the, for the sake of the police officers, I would want yeah. everything recorded because all that gets recorded from a cell phone is when tensions are already high. Yeah. And that's not telling a full story for them. So
0: yeah. And I, th- I guess I should be more clear and more fair. I, I think it's when I say that the police are in favor, it's mostly like city police, right? Not rural police. I think that, you know, city police commissioners and whatnot, they get, they have to do a- elections and they have to appeal to their, the voting populace. So it's probably more that more pressure from being in the city versus being in rural. Like I get it when you're in a rural area and the police are. 15 20 30 minutes away they're not right down the street like they are you know in most suburbs and and uh, cities like i get it you're gonna want to be armed you're gonna want it you're you're much more on the self-defense camp than most other people like in the city you call the police uh, when you're in the rural area, if your house is getting broken into, you're not going to have time for to wait on the police. So I, I, I definitely think cool. even in a
1: city, you're not going to have
0: time. Sure, not- sure, sure. It's just it's still it's more realistic that police were going to get there quicker, you know, to my house in the suburb where I have a police station right down the road verse in the rural areas where there's one police station serving a city of, you know, 2,000 and everybody lives on acreages of land, mm-hmm. uh, probably unpaved. So I, I definitely understand that. So I wanted to be more fair in my depiction of the police being anti-gun. I don't think the police in general are anti-gun, uh, but I do know there are instances of where police unions and organizations are for more gun restrictions in certain areas. That definitely is a, a thing. But I think that if we saw more, for instance, if we Went with these shall not be infringed unlimited access to weapons camp. I do think more police would be in harm's way. I think that I think it would be more of a dichotomy than if we actually did have unlimited gun rights.
1: What well, we need to wrap this up, but what before we do, I want, I want to get your opinion like on sure on red flag laws because a lot of those, I mean, we kind of brought up you know, if you're out of prison you know, where should your rights be with this regard? Sure. A lot of red flag laws are a little more proactive and traditionally, you know, Democrats, liberals are more in favor of red flag laws. Um, but you've kind of bucked tradition and, and, and haven't third the party line here. So what are your thoughts on?
0: <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I don't necessarily see an issue with them. I understand the slippery slope slash abuse argument of it. I think if you have, we, we set up drug stings and crime sting operations Where a crime hasn't necessarily been committed, but people were planning on doing it right. That's like literally all counterterrorism is, is we've had there have been instances where the FBI has recruited somebody as a terrorist to perform a terrorist act and given them a fake bomb and had them go and plant it or try to set it off or whatever. To somebody who wasn't going to be a terrorist if the FBI hadn't gotten involved, I think that knowing If you have reason to believe in reasonable evidence to prevent somebody from, for instance, let's say you had evidence somebody was going to do a school shooting and that they owned a gun legally. Going and taking that weapon away from that person before the adjudication process is done is probably going to save lives. Right. I don't I think that if you are going to prevent. If you wanted to stop red flag laws, there'd be a whole justice system reform that needed to happen mm-hmm. uh, for arresting people of on conspiracy to commit a crime as opposed to actually committing the crime, <laughs> right? I think that if we're going to, I think because our much like the pro to it or Second Amendment is the law of the land, I think that having red flag laws, considering we have other laws based on not committing a crime but planning to commit a crime. You would have to reform that whole process if you're going to say that red flag laws also aren't legal or or should be used, in my opinion. I think as the laws are currently written, red flag laws are fine.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, obviously, again, it varies from state to state. Right. Um, so, yes. like, you know, what we saw like in Virginia is not the same as what we see you know, uh, elsewhere across the country. I think one one of the big things, though, for I mean, kind of the example you gave is in those situations, you still have to acquire the evidence of definitive intent, present that in court, right? that's why you have informants or, um, you know, undercover uh, law enforcement officers doing more and more dangerous things because you have to get so much evidence. So like this was reasonably going to happen within the next several moments if this sting did not interrupt this operation. And I think that's where like, I think if if the red flag laws were, were more often like that, that's one thing, but in some, some instances where red flag laws, like, hey, they're posting depressing things on social media. I think they may be at risk for suicide. The government needs to get involved here. I, I think that's where the standard for essentially removing rights of individuals, whether it be to, to arrest them and take away the Second Amendment, that, that's where it seems to be different and inconsistent. And again, I'm not necessarily hmm, – how do I say this? We don't have enough time to maybe nuance this fully. <laughs> I'm not against red flag laws. And I'll speak to the, some of the ones at Virginia that would say, essentially, we have reasonable suspicion. That's not that's not the legal framework, uh, the legal verbiage of <laughs> the, the bill. But we have reasonable suspicion that this person is dangerous. Therefore, we're going to remove the weapons while our court date is set. And, and while, you know, kind of this case is, is argued and again, a lot of a lot of it's going to go into the nuance and the verbiage of the law, but that's very similar, for instance, to the foster care process, where it's hey, we have reason to believe that these things have already happened, and worse things could happen if we don't step in. So we're going to step in and act immediately, and then we'll have court dates to you know have the full context of the situation brought to light. So I think in the same sense, where if it's like hey, a husband is beating his wife then yes, he's already shown a tendency to take the power he has and abuse it and hurt somebody else. So in those situations, yeah, red flag laws make sense. And I think most of them already exist in most states everywhere where we're not going to give you an enhanced ability to hurt somebody when you've already shown a desire to. We're going to take the weapons away from you. And then during the court process, which I think in at least in Virginia is 15 days, it has to happen in 15 days, that's when when you complete your case and, and we can move forward there. But I think, I think some of them are just so too vague for lack of a better word for, for my comfort level. And for for my saying like, you know, we're not being consistent or we're just wrong and yeah. the standard that we're applying. Yeah.
0: I'll say that it's probably maybe an unpopular take, but I'm probably lean more towards, and this probably bolsters the, the anti-red flag law argument for me. I, I'm kind of against like minority report style <laughs> precognition of who's going to commit crimes and when and whatnot. Mm-hmm. If I'm planning a school shooting, there's no saying that I'm actually going to go through with it, right? And to say the plan is is intent, like you basically have to pick up that person as they're going to the school before they shoot somebody armed with a weapon uh, once they get on school property. I think now... I fully, fully think, fully agree that that's more people are going to die because of that. If you're not arresting people who are planning, but you're also arresting people who probably weren't going to go through with it. And they were just have they were in a bad spot, bad spot, you know, mental health wise. But that being said, like you need to err on the side of giving people every opportunity to not commit the crime. Right. Like, otherwise, you're going to arrest A lot of people and not everybody was. Again, there were there are cases of the counterterrorism team of the FBI finding people who were not mentally all there and convincing them to commit a terrorist attack and then arresting them based on that when they never would have done it without the FBI's involvement. I am really, really anti that sort of thing. Oh, sure. And so I think I think you basically got to catch people in the act. And that's a harder thing to do as law enforcement, which I sympathize with. And again, I think if you're trying to save, I don't know how to say this without sounding insane, you can't save every life. And in the process of trying to save every life, you're going to infringe on a lot of people's rights, in my opinion. I think that's more of the libertarian side of me saying that or thinking that. But I think the red flag laws fall under that. I think the way our justice system currently is, red flag laws are generally fine. We try to prevent crime from happening. Uh, instead of prosecuting crime after the fact, as much as we can. So in that sense, red flag laws are fine. And in the general sense of criminal justice, I think trying to to precognition what crimes are actually going to happen is is a slippery slope and a dangerous one to be on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the two poles, right, you have you have anarchy. And then on the other pole, you have police state. (laughs) Yes. You know, and and, and both are bad. But let's let's I I think we both agree. Um, Let's slide it. You know, the slide that bar from one pole to the other, and let's keep it closer to the individual freedom, quote unquote, anarchy side than the police state side.
0: Yeah. And I think that this ties in nicely with how we'll end this. Like, if everybody's armed, people will be nicer. I, I kind of do believe that adage. Mm-hmm. Uh, if everybody's armed, if all the 16 and 17 year olds are armed at a high school, a school shooter has much less of a soft target, right? Uh, I don't necessarily think 16 and 17 year olds should all be armed in high school. You're probably going to get. M- Less mass shootings and more one-on-one shootings with, with simple disagreements I, I do believe there is there is uh, you know truth to the fact that if a gun is involved in a situation that in a, in a I don't wanna say violent, but anything that turns violent and somebody has a gun turns deadly. And that's just that plenty of knives and fists and rocks and other things can turn deadly. But like with a gun, it's almost always certainly deadly because it's much harder Mm -hmm. to come back from a gunshot. So I understand and 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 empathize with that point of view. But also, again, we're giving 16 year olds the ability to drive at at that age. So teaching them other tools and how to use them correctly and not there's nothing from stopping a. An upset 16 year old from ramming their car into somebody. So,
1: why was that? Why is that any
0: different than a gun, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know,
1: uh, I never thought about arming, you know, students, but I think if you had biometric weapons for teachers and it was a voluntary program for like, hey, all the teachers that want to do this, you're going to go through this training. It will not be your weapon or to be issued to you by the school. But I mean, I just think if, I mean, suitors go to schools because they're soft targets. Like, yeah. Criminals go places because they're soft targets. Um and if you made yes. it less of a soft target, you know you're, yeah, you're, I, safer.
0: The sc- school shooter thing, there's a is a much there's a whole psychological component to it. But they are soft oh, targets. Granted, granted. There are soft yeah. targets for those individuals who are in a unhealthy mental state. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean like that's the
1: sole reason, but I think there's sure. a reality too like uh, again, you know, I think if they knew that, that immediately rounds would be returned. You know, schools to be safer. Children to be safer. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. Well, I think that was, uh, I think I might've surprised you with some of my takes, which is what I want to do here as much as I can surprise you. Shock and awe. That's the, uh, that's the, that's the plan. I, I wish we had more disagreements. I think we probably agreed a little too much, but again, I think me being probably more on the pro-gun side than the average liberal was not quite foreseen, but, yeah. Like I said, I think to summarize, I think that I'm, I think everybody should own a gun. I think everybody should be trained in guns. I think that's an important aspect. I don't think America will ever not be a gun country. We would have to pass an amendment to start pulling back to be more like Europe and more like Australia. And I just don't see that ever happening. Uh, and I think that's probably good, but mm-hmm. I'm not a huge second amendment fan. It's such a weird thing to say, but like, I, 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 I just think it's written poorly. I think the actual amendment itself is written poorly and written. It's one of the most poorly written amendments as far as being not proper English and not as clear as the other amendments. But that being said, the intent of it, of arming the population, I'm fully in support of. I know you are. It's cool that you have a family tradition of handing down a shotgun. Probably not going to start that with my family, but I will teach Remy. How to use a rifle he will be using. He will be shooting shotguns. He will be shooting rifles. And if he so chooses, have his own handgun. Or we didn't really even get into like assault weapons bans and that sort of thing. But it, it kind of falls under our general uh feeling on everybody should be able to own anything as long as they're properly trained. But yeah, I think uh we will probably... Do a criminal justice one because we touched on a lot of those topics, and I think it's pretty – you can't separate them with uh, owning a gun because of stuff like uh, Ruby Ridge, which I'm sure we'll get into in the future, bring it up, that makes owning a gun and being – I don't want to say anti-government, but being fiercely independent uh, kind of go hand in hand. And you probably can't be truly free with without owning a gun. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But the one V one deep state podcast is absolutely pro gun, sometimes pro two a. But we, I think we both agree that uh, there's a lot we could do in this country to have not only more ownership, but more safety, more training. And that I think that's absolutely necessary. And it shouldn't really be an unpopular take. I don't I don't think that it's weird to say I don't think that just anybody should own a gun. But everybody should own again.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I go with Shane.
0: Yeah. So, really awkward way to end the show, but, well, you know, that's what I am. That's what I do. <laughs> follow us. Uh, follow us on be Twitter. At OV- be me. I'm going to be true to myself. Uh, <laughs> at OVO Deep State on Twitter, at The Rake, but the A is a four, at Thomas Black underscore 86 on Twitter. Please, please, please join the Discord. I'm on there. I have conversations on there all the time. Thomas will get there eventually. He still doesn't know how to use a phone. So. <laughs> What can you do? Can't can't you can only lead a horse to water, right? You can't make him drink. Uh, but join the Discord. We have we had a very interesting conversation about the Rittenhouse verdict, the Arbury verdict, what self defense when you can claim self defense and when you can't. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in joining those conversations and more, please join the Discord. It's will be in the description, and we hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving and have good holidays coming up. We got uh, I know Hanukkah started. We got Kwanzaa, Christmas, whatever you celebrate. Uh, if you don't celebrate anything. If you're a Grinch, so be it. But enjoy, enjoy the time enjoy, off. Enjoy your time off. Yeah. Again, we're the 1v1 Deep State Podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Take it easy.